Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett at CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato for MediaMonarchy.com. I would do all I could in my role to not comply with this proposal. We've got that story plus Belt and Road boondoggles. But first, on this sort of three flavors of financial tyranny episode, a Neapolitan ice cream of poison, if you will, banks around the world are suffering. Which would be great if the headline stopped there, but unfortunately it does continue to scroll. Banks around the world are suffering big outages, leaving millions of customers in the lurch at the worst possible time. We grab this from our buddies at Activist Post via Naked Capitalism. I think, James, again, it's the, the rich tapestry that we've been doing, not only these nearly 12 years, but for the last 18 and a half months of the scamdemic. It is all part of the perfect storm the intentional controlled demolition of seemingly everything continues. And when you say controlled demolition, you got to start out in New Zealand. Now in its seventh week of nationwide lockdown, one of the country's largest lenders, Kiwi Bank, went down the other day, leaving many of its customers in the lurch. It is one of a string of IT outages the bank has suffered over the past three weeks after a DDoS attack on New Zealand's third largest internet provider, caused IT crashes at a number of lenders, including Commonwealth Bank and Anz Bank. New Zealand, of course, not the only country, because it is a new world order, to have suffered major outages within its banking system in recent weeks. UK, Japan, South Africa, Venezuela, Mexico. On September 12th, operating failures at Mexico's largest bank, BBVA Mexico, left 24 million account holders unable to use the bank's 13,000 ATMs, can't use the mobile app or in-store payments for pretty much a day, 20 hours. It being a Sunday, you, of course, couldn't call up and get anybody in the office. On July 22nd of this year, the websites of six large banks, Lloyd's, HSBC, Tesco Bank, Bank of Scotland, Halifax, and Barclays, were brought down by a global internet outage, if that sounds familiar, allegedly caused by a botched software update at hosting service Akamai. 5,000 miles away from the UK on the other side of the Atlantic, 16 million customers of Venezuela's biggest bank, Banco de Venezuela, had to recently endure five days without the bank's online platform, as tends to happen in these cases. We only hear about it because people go online to vent their anger on social media. September 30th, Mizuho Bank, one of Japan's three mega banks, experienced its eighth IT system failure so far this year, basically one a month. All of these bank outages are happening for a variety of reasons, from internal problems within a bank's IT system, botched updates, cyber attacks, the downing of the hosting service. But one thing they all highlight is the inherent fragility of a centralized banking IT system at a time when people are using less and less cash and becoming more and more dependent on these digital banking services. James, the bankster, technocrat, eugenicists that have been pushing this cult ritual have basically... I heard this on a horror movie the other day, pushed us down the stairs and broken our legs. And now they're trying to sell us their brand of crutches. James. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, yeah, what's the solution to this centralized banking IT infrastructure that's obviously so unstable that is running these transactions of these centralized fiat currencies that are all digital and electronic these days? What's the solution to that? 
well, more you governmental regulation to step in, centralized governments to come in in a centralized fashion to make it even more centralized, right? That's the only solution we can think of here. Uh, it, yeah, I think we know where this problem reaction solution is going. Look at this bank failing over here. Look at that outage over there. Oh, look at this. These millions of customers left in the dark for days or weeks. What are you going to do when you can't access your cash? So this story is good. It puts together quite a few different examples of this taking place, as it says, for different reasons in different parts of the globe, affecting different people. Part of this sort of global, worldwide, unrolling psyop that is going to be used as one of the excuses of why... Well, we're going to have to take central bank digital currencies. And don't worry, the central banks will be building this from scratch, not on these old legacy systems that, as this article points out, is one of the reasons why the banking IT infrastructure is so inherently unstable because they're built on these legacy systems built on COBOL programming language that very few programmers even know how to use anymore. And it's all this teetering house of cards. We need to start from scratch with, say, a central bank digital currency that'll be built with this handy new blockchain app wallet that it's all all decentralized. Oh, no, it's not decentralized at all. They'll know every single transaction you make. So I think we know where this is heading. And I think uh, that's articulated quite well in that story of Mizuho Bank here in Japan, where they note that uh, one of Japan's three mega banks, uh, Mizuho, uh, experienced its eighth IT system failure so far this year, um, just the, the, a couple of weeks ago. And the system outages at Mizuho date back almost two decades because of a merger that took place uh, at that point. And they've spent $3.6 billion trying to fix this t- tottering infrastructure to no avail. Um, but so, so what's the response to this? Well, of course, th- this past uh, w- when this latest outage happened, the Japanese government, it was the final straw for Japanese financial regulators, which requested that Mizuho submit a work plan for system maintenance and updating in a rare move to effectively oversee the system of a megabank, reported Kyoto News. So, of course, what's the answer to this? It's government stepping in to make sure... Don't worry, government regulators will know better how to handle this than these silly bank IT administrators, right? Uh, Of course, hanging behind this conversation and the broader conversation, because this is just one one slice of that greater pie of the cyber pandemic, the coming global outages that we got the taste of. Facebook's down this week. Oh, no. Just as the whistleblower is coming out, the highly touted whistleblower that I know you've been covering on uh, Morning Monarchy. Um, so th- this is just one sort of flavor of that that Neapolitan ice cream of <laughs> cyber pandemic um, that that is going to be affecting us all. But the specter that's hanging behind it, as always, is, of course, the cyber false flag, virtual false flag that we have been talking about year after year after year after year here on New World next week because it is in the cards. It is a card up the sleeve that is gestured to in this article when they're talking about Venezuela's biggest bank. Banco de Venezuela had to in- recently endure five days without the bank's online platform. When the platform was finally restored on September 20th, Venezuela's vice president laid the blame on the U.S. government, which she accused of launching an intense and aggressive cyber attack against the bank's IT system. Yes, the biggest perpetrators of these types of outages are going to, or at least the most spectacular examples of this, are going to be the government operators who are going to go in and change things behind the scenes. How will we ever know? We cite it each and every single time. But let's cite it one more time for the new people in the audience. There is an iPatriot Act sitting in the wings waiting for the big spectacular cyber terror, cyber pandemic event to come along so that they can 
completely change the infrastructure of the the internet itself, or at the very least, how you access that infrastructure. And it's going to be fingerprints or scans or whatever it is. You will need a license to access the internet after their big false flag goes goes into effect. And the probably the most effective way to bring that about would be an attack on the banking infrastructure, the internet, uh, the IT infrastructure for banking. Because when it hits your pocketbook and you can't access your bank account for days, weeks, months, if that happened, it would be total, utter chaos. People would be pleading, do anything, please, Mr. Government. So I think we know where this is heading, or at least could head, and we need to find the real solution, which is not to put more faith in big government to regulate the big banks for their big centralized IT infrastructure. How about finding ways that don't rely on that infrastructure to transact with each other? And if people are interested in that, I would suggest they go back to what I talked about at the very beginning of the year, solutions, survival currency, talking about different ways people can be starting now when they still have the opportunity to do so, to try to construct uh, currency alternatives outside of this centralized structure that they're creating. As I've kind of talked about low these many years, that when this I-9-11 event comes, we'll know it because it'll be like a punch-in-the-face book. And I think we got that small, small, little, little taste of that this week. Give us more power and control, and we'll totally save you next time. They always say our second segment on this new world next week. Episode 462 keeps it on point. China's Belt and Road faces growing opposition from participating countries as debts mount. We have got your D walled article from the Epic Times. China's Belt and Road Initiative, BRI, facing growing opposition from participating countries as their debts associated with Chinese projects mount. This according to a recent study launched in 2013. And we talked about it right here on New World Next Week, launched in 2013 by Chinese leader Xi Jinping. The Brick and Road Initiative, Belt and Road Initiative, I should say, might be losing its impetus due to a debt-based backlash. According to a study from Aid Data, a research lab at William and Mary's Global Research Institute, and again, everything we cite is always mentioned and linked up down in the show notes, the study analyzed 13,427 projects backed by China in more than 165 countries over 18 years. The project's total value amounts to $843 billion. Aid data found that 35% of BRI's projects dealt with implementation projects such as corruption scandals, labor violations, environmental hazards, and public protests. Brad Parks, one of the study's authors, said a growing number of policymakers in low- and middle-income countries are mothballing high-profile BRI projects because of overpricing, corruption, and debt sustainability concerns. We will include the link to the PDF. Banking on the Belt and Road, insights from a new global data set of 13,427 Chinese development projects. James, a slightly different angle on the Money Masters. Slightly different, but ultimately amounts to much of the same thing, doesn't it? Um, So the first objection that people would, could, and should raise about an article like this is the Epoch Times. And yes, exactly right. Yes, uh, obviously a biased source that uh, clearly participates 
in that phony Sinophibe Sinophile debate that I've been talking about recently. Um, uh, and they're clearly on the Sinophobe side. It's the CCP virus, I tell you. Um, so obviously, look at this quizzically, but. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to take their interpretation or their word for it. There are a lot of objectively identifiable, verifiable facts about the real world that um, can be gleaned from an article like this, or more, uh, more importantly, from the underlying study that this is based on. So, I mean, for example, they looked at 13,427 projects in 165 countries over 18 years, totaling $843 billion uh, worth of, uh, of projects. 35% of BRI's projects deal with implementation problems such as corruption, scandal, labor violations, environmental hazards, and public protests. 42 low- and middle-income countries have public debt exposure to China that exceeds 10% of their GDP. Um, they under-report the, uh, their exposure to these pro problems because they factor in GDP growth at generally as being sort of baked into the cake. Well, because we're getting this infrastructure project, we're going to have larger GDP. Therefore, it pays, pays for itself, right? Which isn't, of course, always happening. In fact, uh, uh, there's a report that stated 23% of countries involved in the uh, BRI said their BRI-based debt is building external debt up to unsustainable levels. They cite the, the uh, Sri Lanka Hambantota port uh, deal, the 99-year lease that's been made with China. There's that's a, I mean, there's a lot to say about that, and a lot has been said um, both ways. But anyway, these are identifiable parts of the real world, and the fact that there is country after country now canceling their various BRI projects with China or scaling them back. Malaysia canceled $11.5 billion worth in projects. Uh, Kazakhstan canceled over $1.5 Bolivia over $1 billion. So th there's definitely some debt trap diplomacy going on here. Um, which, of course, flies in the face of the narrative of the Sinophiles, that China is just a, spreading love and gumdrops all over the world, everywhere they go, yay, on their new Silk Road. And they're, they're only interested in helping countries around the world with their wonderful debt-based... Uh, no, 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 no. It's just China learned from the masters, the World Bank, the IMF, that have been doing this debt-trap diplomacy for de decades, if not a, a better part of a century. So, yeah, uh, nothing new here in that that regard. But I think... Uh, so this is valuable data that, as I say, is verifiable. We don't have to take the Epoch Times word for it, and we probably shouldn't. But there's real verifiable data about what is going on here and what this Belt and Road Initiative is really aiming at on a geopolitical scale. And we have to factor that into the greater discussion, which is not about the 2D nation-state sinophile, sinophile phony debate, which is controlled on both sides. We have to look at the deeper level of this. And um, I think now is the time uh, specifically to be introducing this conversation. Now that we're getting all, it's really ramping up now. And look at how many flights China is doing over Taiwan airspace now. And, you know, any day now it could be, they could kick off. All this talk is ramping up again. So I think it's exceptionally important to bring the deeper level of this discussion up. Uh, I will, in that uh, in that regard, I will point people to my recent discussion with Whitney Webb on Unlimited Hangout about this very topic. I also recently, just the other day, recorded a conversation with Thaddeus Russell on the Unregistered Podcast, and we went over this in great detail as well. That should be up probably by the time you're listening to this, but anyway, in the near future. So um, let's let's spread that information and deepen this debate so that it uh, so that we start we don't get trapped in the phony two sides controlled opposition um, debate that they want us to have on topics like this.
Uh, newbie novice question here. I'm not sure if you can comment on this. I'm actually I'm surprised they're allowed to mothball projects they don't like. I guess I kind of assumed this was like as you mentioned, IMF style debt slavery at the barrel of a gun. So they're able to sort of pick and choose. Uh, well, I, I, it probably depends on each individual deal, but I am assuming that there are clauses in these deals for cancellation that probably come with default penalties. But again, I don't know, and it, I'm sure it's different from project to project and country to country. But yes, I, I don't think that the actual specter of Chinese invasion of a country for canceling <laughs> one of these projects is quite on the table in the same way that it might be with the uh, World Bank or IMF, at least. Um, you know, the wink and the nudge. Hey, NATO's going to be angry at you guys if you guys don't pay us kind of thing. Our final look at Funny Money on this New World Next Week episode 462 comes with a side of Hellscape USA, but it is pushback style. Yellen defends IRS rule requiring banks to report all transactions over $600. Treasury Secretary... And one of the richest in the Biden administration, Janet Yellen, is defending a Biden administration proposal that would require banks to report data to the Internal Revenue Service, the hated IRS, on transactions over 600 bucks, calling the collection of information routine after taking heat for the idea that is widely seen as an unprecedented invasion of privacy. And that's putting it kind of mildly from the New York Post. But the pushback, good news, part of this States revolt against Biden's bank snooping plans. Missouri and Arkansas become the latest American states to say they would not comply with a Biden proposal to force banks to hand over transaction data over $600 to the IRS. I will stand up to this government overreach and protect the privacy of those account holders, State Treasurer Scott Fitzpatrick said in a statement. Turning over their transaction data to the federal government is illegal under Missouri law and a gross violation of Missourians' expectation of privacy when it comes to their personal financial records. I will not turn this information over to the IRS voluntarily and will fight in court to block any attempts by the federal government to compel my office to comply with this mandate, Fitzpatrick said. The states follow both West Virginia and Nebraska in promising to defy the policy. Arkansas State Treasurer Dennis Milligan told Daily Mail he would not hand over citizens' data to the IRS either. It would be absolutely absurd for me to turn over their private account data regarding money they're saving for their loved one's future to the IRS, and I do not intend to do so. I would do all I could in my role to not comply with this proposal. West Virginia State Treasurer Riley Moore said that no state should comply with the IRS plan which was hidden inside the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill, which State Treasurer Riley Moore calls an unconstitutional invasion. The impact this is going to have on community banks, this is like Dodd-Frank on steroids. He said big banks who supported Biden would be the beneficiaries of the proposal. And James, that is, of course, part of this story. You might even notice I, I, I shrunk the headline a little bit. GOP states push back against Biden proposal. So again, it's always posed as this fake left and right in the two-party illusion. I would not be surprised at all to see some Democrat states basically joining in on this. Esteemed Wyoming Senator Lummis said, and there is a video and you can see it, Secretary Yellen, do you distrust the American people so much that you need to know they bought a couch or a cow? And then on the flip side, from senator to rando dude on Twitter, 
LMAO at the IRS $600 watchdog law after they issued you $600 UI distributions. Remember the Biden bucks? They seriously coming after your side hustle you created to survive their insane lockdowns. They killed small business and they can't pay their debt. So they're coming after individuals now. James, I guess my question, and maybe I suppose I'd be better off to answer this as an American than you could. Could the criminal U.S. government actually keep track of all this? Is this a tenable proposition in the first place? Well, maybe not under the system as it currently exists. So what would they have to do in order to make that tenable? Um, yeah, yep, controlled demolition, and in the ashes emerges a central bank digital currency? Hey, all roads seem to be leading towards a certain solution that, boy, they just happen to be working on behind the scenes right now. There's white paper after white paper coming out from central bank after central bank about implementation of central bank digital currencies. But... I don't know. I don't know if the public's going to go along with it. Hey, here's another way that we can try to jam this into the conversation. Oh, poor federal government. We're trillions uh, down from what we should be because you guys are hiding too much money from us. Uh, how about if we make it so that we can see literally every transaction that takes place in the economy? That'll solve it. So that would, in a sense, make this new rule kind of a moot point. But anyway, um, I think this is one step toward it. And yeah, the the synchronicity of the $600, I think, actually does quite nicely give away exactly what this is about and, and exactly how this works. Again, yes, they are demolishing the economy with their lockdowns and everything so that they can get you hooked on these Biden bucks and UI payments that will turn into the UBI. And, oh, everyone gets this wonderful check from the government. And check. Oh, my God, that's so last century. Uh, I guess it'll have to be some sort of digital. If only everyone had a some sort of wallet that directly tied into the central bank. Maybe a central bank digital currency. That would be the way to distribute the All roads leading to this new... I mean, it's a changeover in the monetary paradigm that's happening right now. That is what is taking place right now. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The scamdemic is just the one of the justifications that they're going to use for their pre-made solution. So keep that in mind and Every single one of these stories converge on it, and it's exactly what I was just saying for story one. Well, if the solution isn't to fall into their CBDC trap, what is it? And the only solution that is viable are the ones that we create and that we participate in. And we have to start that legwork from the ground up, because if we wait for some institution to come along and swoop in and save us, it will be the, uh, the debt trap, kind of like what uh, China uh, Chinese victims are experiencing right now all around the world. All these stories are of a piece, and it is about the controlled demolition of various economies and the people who will swoop in to save you with strings attached, of course. So if you don't want that to happen, you're going to have to find ways to work outside of this system. That episode is quite the, as I like to say on my shows, quite the rich tapestry. In closing... James, I, I mentioned this to you off off mic a couple of weeks ago. People have uploaded some Corbett documentaries to ThemTube, and the title says History Channel Documentary. And it's actually gotten folks to watch who otherwise would have knee-jerked away from alt-media. Uh, An awesome Media Monarchy member, Mandy Memes, has actually been keeping us up to date. My brother's been getting my dad to watch more Corby documentaries, telling him it's the same guy who did that History Channel Big Oil documentary he liked so much. 
My dad really liked the Afghanistan one. We are tricking him awake. James, we got to do what we got to do. And in closing, again, I'll remind folks, we just launched it. The New World Next Week store is still kicking butt. We are getting down to the last bit of Bill Gates and 9-11 Trillions DVDs. There are more in the works. I guess the update. We, surprise, we can't ship to New Zealand or Australia at this time uh, because they're under complete scandemic police state lockdown. Yep, that. And the United States is the one that has halted shipping there. So for the time being, we're not able to ship to New Zealand or Australia here from the States. NewWorldNextWeek.com currently has DVDs and radio plays, merch, and more coming soon from both of us. And of course, what becomes more important, James, we've still got my post office box. It's really turned into a great way to send mostly untrackable support. Cash, coins, precious metal, yen, Utah gold bucks. I accept every bit of it, and then I split it with James Corbett while I stream news, music, memes, and more. Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Mountain Time at MediaMonarchy.com slash listen. James. Hats off to all the people who are finding creative ways to spread this material to people who would knee-jerk away from it. So, yes, hats off to that. And I will make note of someone on YouTube who has started a Corbett Report channel with my branding on it. It has nothing to do with me. I don't know who's doing it, but he is uploading, he, they, she, they are uploading every single one of my videos to YouTube, which is particularly odd because we're talking about vaccines. We're saying, do not trust your health authorities. They are lying to you. <laughs> the things that you're not allowed to say on YouTube. Uh -huh. Somehow, <laughs> these videos are being uploaded to YouTube and they haven't seemed to be taken down yet. I don't know. Whatever. If you're watching this on YouTube, number one, I am not on YouTube. Someone else is uploading this. Number two, stop watching YouTube. I even see in the comments of these YouTube posts that this person is doing, people going, James, you dis disappeared for a while. Glad to see you're back. <laughs> no, I didn't disappear anywhere. YouTube deleted my channel. They are censoring information. Stop watching YouTube. <laughs> You have been warned. Anyway, <laughs> on that note, hats off to the people who are reaching out into that matrix and finding ways to spread this information because it's mm -hmm. unfortunately the only way we're going to be reaching new people from now on is doing tricks like that because we are in information warfare and James and I are going to be here week after week after week fighting that war. I hope you guys will be here to support us. James, see you again next week. Thanks so much, buddy. Take care.